0: And welcome to episode 180 of the Writing and Marketing Show with author, entrepreneur, Wendy H. Jones. As always, it's a pleasure to have you join me. And here we are for episode 180. I cannot believe where the year is going. Today, I'm going to be talking using art and music in your... um, research for your books. And I'm speaking to Sheena McLeod, who is uh, very well versed in this and does talk about it uh, and run workshops on it. And I've heard her workshop and it is excellent. Um, so before then, what have I been up to? Well, I'm very excited today because I've got new hearing aids. Now, you're probably thinking, well, what's that got to do with us? Well, I'll tell you, I can hear so much better now. It's amazing. And it's amazing how things have moved forward. I've got all super duper hearing aids that are uh, that are Bluetooth to my phone. I can use an app and they can access them remotely to repair them. How? Cool is that? I mean, things are just moving on exponentially in terms of computing, in terms of digitalization and what we can do. Now, that's a talk for another day. Um, Obviously, I did do a session on AI for authors and gave a very balanced approach um, with that. Uh, So I'm not talking about AI, but it's just to say that things are moving on. Things are moving on all the time. And if we don't keep up with them, then we're going to be left behind, is what I'm saying. However there's also a place for history and this is where the paintings and music come in and that's where I'm going to be talking to Sheena. And um, Before we get on with the show, I'd like to say that, as I say, it's a pleasure to bring you this every week, but it does take time out of my writing. So if you would like to support this time, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Wendy H. Jones and you can do it for the price of tea or coffee a month. I would be very grateful and it will let me know that you are um, still want the actual... Uh, show to continue and I would love to continue with it because we're heading up for four years and obviously at four years you take a take stock of where it's taking you and how much time it's taking you and um, you decide whether to carry on each year and I would love to carry on but obviously doing it for nothing all the time uh, is I need to use my time wisely so think about uh, supporting me on Patreon and that's patreon.com forward slash Wendy H Jones um, so, what of Sheena? Well, Sheena MacLeod is a be- an award-winning, best-selling author. She lives in a seaside town in Scotland where she gained a PhD at the University of Dundee where she lectured in mental health nursing. After leaving teaching, Sheena combined her love of history with her passion for research and turned to novel writing. She's written a number of short stories and poems as well. Um, Reign of the Marionettes was her first published historical fiction novel, but she has also uh, turned her hand to crime writing and written a crime short story in um, an anthology called Deadly Traditions, and she's currently researching and writing uh, a a novel, a crime novel set in Dundee. So very multi-talented. And I've also heard her give talks um, on numerous um, topics and run workshops. She's highly sought after. And one of the actual workshops she does is talk about using art and music to help research for your books. And I'm delighted that she has agreed to join us. So without further ado, let's get on with the show and hear from Sheena. And we have Sheena with us. Welcome, Sheena. How are you today?
1: I'm fine. Thank you, Wendy.
0: Oh, hey, it's lovely to have you here. And we're in a
1: very special place, aren't you? Can you tell us where we are? We're writing today from the scriptorium in Arbroath Abbey. Arbroath's on the east coast of Scotland, and it's famous for the abbey itself, where the famous declaration of our broth was written it's also famous for it's fish near the sea it's Arbroath Smokies are something to taste for they are
0: Arbroath Smokies are to die for if you're a Smokie fan I mean I'm, I love fish and I don't mind Smokies but they've got a lot of bones in them guys and I have to say Arbroath Abbey is stunning stunning and you know, as Sheena says, it's where the Declaration of Scottish Independence was signed. So it's called uh, the Declaration of Our Broth and the Declaration of Scottish Independence. We like a bit of independence here in Scotland, don't we, Sheena? We do <laughs> Anyway, much as I could talk about that all week, Wendy, um, we're here to talk about art and music. So, can you tell? Tell me where your interest in using art and music as a research resource for your books came from.
1: Well, and I came to fiction writing late in life, and for years there was a story grumbling away. I wanted to write a historical fiction novel set in the past up in the highlands of Scotland around about the time of the Clearances. When I went to research I found that the well, the history books were good. They were mainly filled with facts, events, dates, and it wasn't really what I was looking for. I wanted more of a feel about what was happening at the time, how people coped. My big question was how did people manage? How did people survive through the clearances? And that's where I found that the arts themselves offered information, and social historians draw widely on the arts for their work. And so the writing of the time, the paintings of the time, the songs, they all provided me with information that helped me get the feel for what was happening, the emotion behind what was happening, the feelings of the people at that time for the events. I think as historical writers we're all looking for the same things that regardless of when we write or the characters we're writing about, we all want to know what everyday life was like for people who lived in our time that we're writing about. We want to know what they saw, where they lived, what they did, what they experienced, and what kind of external things were going on in life at that time that influenced them?
0: Yeah, that's no. excellent, mm-hmm. and then that's really good because it it shows you um, a lot about the everyday things. And you, you don't think you can get so much from a painting, but obviously you can. You know, I'm fascinated by that because we can just look at a painting and go, "Oh, it's a painting," or we can look at it and it's a social, it's social history. It yeah. is
1: indeed. And there's also a lot of missing history that's not in the textbooks, not in the, the, the books, that poetry and um, paintings can give us some of that missing history.
0: That's great. It really is. I, I mean, I've never thought about it, as I say, like that before and how you can get so much from one painting. Can you give me an example of a painting you've used and how you used it?
1: I can. I used a lot of um, paintings, um, I've drawn in quite a few, so there's a big choice there. <laughs> it's hard choice. But for Tears of Strathnaver, um, the book that is set in the Highlands during the clearances, it has to be The Last of the Clan by Thomas Fayad, which was painted in 1865. Thomas Fayyad himself lived between 1826 and 1900, this painting is a very moving painting. It's it's used a lot by others. It's displayed a lot. It's meant to be a view from a, a ship or a boat of the land of as people leave Scotland and the the left and droves, as you know mm-hmm. at that time that I'm writing about. And what it shows is a, an elderly man is sitting slumped over a pony.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He has a plaid around his shoulders, and he looks lost, he looks dejected. So the view from the ship is the people that have been left behind. And this man shows that it was a lot of the older people that were left behind, and the very young. And that's who he's surrounded by, very young or other older people, alongside luggage and things that show that people are moving away. It's not a romanticised view, which often paintings and things can be of Scotland. It's a very emotional, it's full of feeling. It was the end of a way of life, and to me, Thomas Fjord's painting of The clan, the Last of the Clan depicts that.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, to be honest, that brought a lump to my throat, you know, because you could just imagine it, Mm. his family are leaving on a ship and he's left behind in the ruins of what life was like for the Scots of that time. And you often think, oh, well, you can see physical things in paintings, but actually finding out what the emotional turmoil was as well mm-hmm. is another way of looking at it that's absolutely brilliant I mean I've seriously never thought of it like that before at all you yeah. know and that's surprising so I know you can sometimes find surprising things when using a painting can you give us any examples of this
1: I agree there's lots of surprises aren't when oh, we, yeah. we go in we don't often expect the visual thing when we go deeper, if you start to explore it deeper. And I think for me, the art of going back even further to the first book, I, historical book I wrote at the time of the Restoration in London, which 1600s, going back in time, what surprised me was that women were contributed more to the arts than we give credit for. Mm. We think about women coming after post-war period yeah. when opportunities were opened up and even if it was slightly earlier. But I, I was surprised to see how much women actually contributed to the arts at that time.
0: Yeah, that is surprising.
1: Yeah. Playwrights, poets, yeah. artists, sculptor. And I think Afra Ben in the 17th century England was perhaps the first woman to earn a living from writing. Gosh, Mm.
0: that's, um, you know, that's surprising. I think, do you know what, I think that we often think that women were subjugated till post-war. I think they we were kind of subjugated during Victorian times and prior to that they were a lot more free. Mm-hmm. And then somehow or other, despite the fact we had a queen on the throne
1: <laughs> You think of women. We <laughs>
0: Yeah. Women seem to lose a lot of their freedoms, you know. And gosh guys, if you can hear squeaking, that's my chair. I've got a very squeaky office chair. I don't know why. I better stop moving at all. You know. But hey, but you can. It's not just it's not just art, but the arts. So yeah. when you think about Writing and music, and how how people contributed, both men and women, you know. And moving on to um, music, I believe you also use music and poetry as research. Can you tell us about this?
1: As I did in all my books, I've drawn very widely on music and poetry. <laughs> in terms of music and poetry, they often depict the social issues of the time. Mm. And then restoration London, the broadsheets because so many people couldn't read and write, the broadsheets were put out as ballads and song. So whatever message they wanted to give out, they give out as ditties, which Mm. even the lower classes, um, people who couldn't read or write, would be singing and around. So the messages were passed on often through poetry and song.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. I didn't realize that. I knew they had, you know, the town criers reading things out and stuff, but I didn't realize that. You know, and of course, the songs are repeated, aren't they? People sing them, then they sing them again.
1: Sung even by young children were singing them, and we think fake news is new. It's not often it was. (laughs) What they did was put out fake news through these songs and bands, and people would sing them and pass them on.
0: Oh, there's nothing new under the sun, as they say, is so that even fake news was invented hundreds of years ago. But, yeah, I think that's amazing. And the fact that, you know, the repetition means it goes into their brain more. Mm-hmm. You know, they're hearing it over and over and over in a natural way. And, I mean, I suppose the sea shanties and things as well, you know, for for the, the naval, or not just naval, but sea-going mm-hmm. people, you know, seafarers, the sea shanties were all part of that as well and would be giving information, you know, you can learn so much from it.
1: And at yeah. the time of the clearances, many people didn't leave for written records. Mm. So it was hard. You'd often have a secondary rather than primary sources of information. It was written up after the event about people rather yeah. than the people themselves
0: Yeah, writing.
1: Yeah. But Sorley Maclean um, gathered together a lot of the poems of the clearances and published them, and it definitely gives you the anger, that's full of anger, the feeling of loss, the loss of culture, all that's within the poems, and it's that emotional sense that you get, like the paintings.
0: Yeah, you're right. They're not
1: in the books.
0: Yeah, you're right. And, I mean, when you think of songs as well, we're still singing them now, because one example, Over the Sea to Sky you know with, the, with it's a very romanticized view of um you know Bonnie Prince Charlie and Flora MacDonald rowing them rowing him to sky to get him away from the in the Jacobite rebellion yeah so we're still singing them now in, in its yeah, history yeah passed on yeah yeah i think i find that fascinating gosh i could discuss that sort of thing all day you know but the podcast can only go on for so long so we'll uh Move on to the next question and you perhaps you and I can have a chat about music later, you know. Um and there are some really famous paintings that everybody knows or feels they know, like Girl with a Pearl Earring. Is there a way in which the can we can use these differently?
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating painting, isn't it? It's a painting yeah. that we most people, as you say, think they know. Yeah. But with um it's probably one of the most pain, famous paintings now because of Tracy Treveller's yeah. book, um, which sold multi-million copies. Yeah. And she based it on the girl in the painting. And not only that, she based it on the artist himself. Johannes Vermeer mm. was around about it was about sixteen mid-1600s. He, there was very little known about him and I think that gave her the freedom to write his story as she saw mm. based in the Netherlands. Yeah. She could reconstruct his life in a fictional sense because there was little known about him. Mm. But if it is about looking deeper and when you look deeper at the artist, for all historical fiction, really using the arts, whether it's painting, you have to look and see... It's the six on serving men, isn't it? That yeah. we, we as writers use anyway the what, yeah. the where, the why, the how, the when. I think I've missed some there, have
0: I? <laughs> no, that's great. That is again, it's really interesting, and we do know so much about that from and uh, him, and mm-hmm. we all know the painting because of the oh, book, yeah. even if we'd never seen the painting. Mm-hmm. You know, another example of that that's just come to my mind is the Goldfinch, mm-hmm. uh, by is it Donna Tart? And the goldfinch, I was thinking, it starts with a... Basically, the goldfinch starts with a little boy being blown up. Uh, well, it starts with his memory, an old man's memory of when he was a little boy. And he was, he was in a museum, an art museum, that was blown up and his mother was killed. And he stole the painting of the goldfinch. And I thought, this is a load of old tosh. The book's brilliant, by the way. I'm not saying the book's a load of old tosh. But my thoughts were, how on earth could a small boy steal a painting I mean, with all due respect, you know, these paintings are huge. How could he steal it and get away with it, even in the midst of chaos, you know, even in the midst of chaos? Well, then the painting actually came to Scotland and was in the uh, Scottish National Gallery. And I was going to through to Edinburgh anyway for a, a meeting. So I went early and went to see the painting. It's tiny. You can slip it in your pocket, you know, but you don't get a sense of that from the book. You get a sense of how beautiful the painting is. But you don't get the sense that it's so small. And so he could have stolen it easily. Nobody would have seen it. Um, it wasn't a big painting that was bigger than him. And he was staggering off with it. But you do get a real sense. I and mean, using paintings like that, even if you veer off from what is, uh, it's just a, you know, fictional. Um, It's not like the girl with the per- Earing, a, a view of somebody's life. It's a brilliant way of starting it, you know, finding a painting. And nobody'd heard of the goldfinch. Now everybody knows the goldfinch. Everybody knows the goldfinch because of that. Um, So you can't use it as a springboard for moving forward and writing an entire book on it. It's a long book, very well written, brilliant book. I would recommend everyone to read it. I think I've spoken about it on here before, but very, very good. Um, So are there any specific details we can look for in a painting that help us to bring realism
1: to our narrative? Well... I think in addition to finding inspiration for our writing from paintings or the arts, you can also use it as a form of research mm-hmm. and many paintings, many pieces of art are considered primary sources of research, Gosh. not secondary sources, they're considered primary sources, particularly if they were written at the time by people at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also advise for realism to look and see if you can find art paintings about key events like weddings. If you want to write about a wedding, you can often find a painting depicting yeah. a wedding yeah. at that time or a boy, poem boy, song about a wedding. Yeah. And funerals, any scenes from everyday life like markets, shopping, yeah. what people wore can all be. Um, very, very rich details in some of the paintings. So I've used them a lot.
0: Yeah, you're right about the paintings because I was out in um, Antigua and in the museum they have a painting of a slave market which completely confused me because I thought, well, they're not selling slaves, that's pretty obvious. And um, Antigua was the first place in the world to get rid of um, slavery. And I was astounded by this. Um, But... the slave market was where they were still called slaves. It was like a job, even though they weren't slaves, they were free, yeah? But that was where they went to buy their provisions. And I found so much about in that, about what it was like then. So when my gentleman was out there, you know, they get um, the food they bought, what they wore, the fact that there were the gentry were there, mm-hmm. as well as the actual black slaves who were more servants then than slaves. They weren't called that, but it was still called the slave market. And you got a real sense of, as you say, everyday life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, even though I'd seen that until you said this today, it didn't impact on me what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. So that is really helpful. Thank you. Really, really helpful. And the other thing with paintings is they often contain symbols of the time and place, and that's an often debated subject, Can you tell us a bit about this and how we can use it as writers? Symbolism in art.
1: Oh, in symbolism, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, as you know, um, paintings are often rich in symbolism, some paintings more so than others. And they're much debated, even to read some of the debates about the symbols Mm -hmm. that are present can give you great insights and help you with your writing um, for inspiration. And also the... Symbols of the time, as you know, change over time and give us mm. some clues that we can use these symbols ourselves for our writing, for mm, the basis mm. of them. And it's like, for example, um, uh, Mary Queen of Scots before she was incarcerated in Leaven. Oh yeah, yeah. Lough Yeah. She she the, there's a painting depicting a dropped glove. Which is a challenge. It's the the, the hero, yes. coming, no one coming forward to help us. Yes. Little issues like that. Wow. In my own story, Tears of Strathnaver, I used the clan brooch as a right. symbol of family, of bonds, yeah. of clanship. Yeah. And that, that was carried throughout this brooch, given the idea. Wow.
0: That's amazing. And even jewellery can be used, mm. you know. I, I went out to Rome. I was in Italy on holiday and we were in Rome and we went obviously went to the Sistine Chapel. And apparently there are symbols in the roof of the, the Sistine Chapel that basically tell um, the Pope that how how not keen Michelangelo was to paint this. He was forced into it. He didn't actually want to do it. And he's put symbols into there that tell people that he wasn't very happy about all of this. I can't remember what they are. But, yeah, people did use symbols. It's a huge area.
1: Yeah, absolutely yeah. Absolutely huge, massive area.
0: And it wasn't until then I realised, and that drop glove, that is brilliant. You, you know.
1: wouldn't notice it unless you no, examined it closer. No, to the symbol.
0: absolutely brilliant. I love it. Um, so, if someone wanted to use art as a basis for the for research, where would this start?
1: Well, for a start, it's not about critiquing the arts. I'm definitely no mm. art critique, yeah. I'm and it's not <laughs> I'm not particularly knowledgeable about the arts, as you probably picked up. But what I do feel is that everybody and can use the arts as the, that primary source to look at the area they're writing about, the people they're writing about. Yeah. Um, everything is not as it seems in the art world, as you know, as well. <laughs> so it's looking deeper and asking these, these questions about who painted it, why did they paint it, why did they write it, when was it written, I'd go deeper and deeper and deeper into it and the more you go, the deeper you go, the more you discover and the more you'll find out. It's a great resource for writers, particularly writers of historical fiction. It can provide inspiration. It can provide a rich source of detail, as we said about everyday life, plus emotions. It's just about asking the right questions.
0: Good point. Yeah, asking the right questions. I like that. Now, all podcasts have to kind of come to a little bit of a conclusion eventually. But but before we go, I'd like you to tell us about your own books, because you've done a lot of
1: writing. Yeah, I started off writing historical fiction, as I said, and um, although I wanted to write a st- about the clearances and a novel set at that time, I went back in time to see if I could understand a bit more about what was happening. My first book, Reign of the Marionettes, is set um, during the Restoration in London. It's about survival during a time of great um, unrest. There's a lot of conspiracies and fake news floating around <laughs> that fight people. I wonder where we've heard that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: And it was about how people got through that and survived it and all the dynamics that were going on. I then wrote Tears of Strathnaver, which is a historical novel set in the highlands of Scotland at the time of the clearances.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It tells of a family. It tells how It's a story of family. It's about survival against the odds at the turn of the century. Last century. In terms of non-fiction... I've written a book about women and the vote. Oh yeah. Um. For. So you say I can't vote, and it rather it focuses very much on the working class women Mm. and when they got the vote and their Mm. involvement in the fight for the vote for women, in UK.
0: Yeah, and it's a very good book, and I believe you've written a short story for an anthology.
1: I have a few. Yeah, I have indeed. Yeah. But, hey, you wrote a crime one, didn't you? I did a crime one, yeah, and I did a historical one. That's right, yeah. It's fascinating. It's, it's great to do the short stories in between and build up.
0: Yeah, it gives you a bit yeah. of a a bit of a change from writing a whole novel, especially a historical one, which can be really hard.
1: It takes time.
0: It does. So my very last question is, where can my listeners find out more about
1: you and your books? Have you got the, a website? The usual places, yeah. I have a website. I can be found on Facebook author page as Sheena Macleod. Yep. I write under Sheena Macleod, And um, um, books are available for sale in all the usual places like Amazon, Amazon, Waterstones, Still Barnes and Noble. And Noble. <laughs> just the usual outlets.
0: Oh, the usual places. And just to say before we go that it's Sheena McLeod and McLeod is M-A-C-L-E-O-D. I'll put a link to the website in the show notes. And um, Sheena, it was great to have you here.
1: It was a pleasure to be here, Wendy. Thank you.
0: You are welcome. And thank you for joining us this week again. To the listeners, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always. And I will be back next week and we will have another fantastic show. So thanks to Sheena and goodbye. That brings us to the end of another show. It was really good to have you on the show with me today. I'm Wendy H. Jones, and you can find me at wendyhjones.com. You can also find me on Patreon, where you can support me for th- uh, as little as $3 a month, which is less than the price of a tea or coffee. You go to patreon.com forward slash H. Jones. I'm also Wendy H. Jones on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Thank you for joining me today and I hope you found it both useful and interesting. Join me next week when I will have another cracking guest for you. Until then, have a good week and keep writing, keep reading and keep learning.